Hello, Great Minds. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History. And it's finally time for that bonus episode I promised all of my Patreons and listeners on Alice Roosevelt Longworth, that is Theodore Roosevelt's daughter. It will be available to all listeners, however, for this one week, and then off to Patreon land it goes, as I am falling further and further behind as the school year comes to a close. So welcome to the show, everyone. This is just a short moment in the margins that couldn't fit in the main episode on Theodore Roosevelt. I mean, really, Alice deserves more time than just a moment. And it was supposed to be exclusively for my beloved residents of Patreon land. Uh, But this will be available to everyone for just one week because I am a week behind as testing and, you know, prepping for more testing and the end of the year ensued. I have just not been in the right mindset to complete the Philip II episode. Next week, though, it will be out and ready to go, and the Philip saga will continue on normal-paced. But today, I give you Alice Roosevelt. Whether you're a patron of the arts, a great mind, a drinky buddy, a history lover, or just a fan of the show, or today, for this week, only a listener of DGMH, we greatly appreciate you drinking along and supporting the show in any way you do. And listeners, if you want to support the show financially and help us, you know, feed this drinking habit and history discussion after discussion after discussion, then you should go check out the awesome content at the DGMH Patreon page. Uh, If you love the show and want to help us out, it would be very much appreciated. Uh, But tonight is the episode on Alice Roosevelt, so happy Friday, everyone. Let's go. Tonight, I am having a glass of homemade limoncello with lemons grown from my own garden. I know this isn't the first time I've drank this on the show, but it is the first time I've drank it by myself. Of course, I won't be rating this. That would be extremely narcissistic, but it is fucking delicious. Interesting enough, Alice Roosevelt Longworth, who was quite the socialite, was, quote, never one to drink much. Mrs. Longworth developed a loathing for people who couldn't handle their liquor. Luckily, that doesn't tend to be me. She made a practice of, quote, coming late to dinner parties to avoid the cocktail hour. I've also read that she liked to party, carry on, and consume a beverage or two in her younger years. I'm not sure which it is, but I can say for certain that Mr. DGMH promises you that he would never and will never miss a cocktail hour, nor would I be late. I hate being late for things. So you know, when I was in high school, I first encountered that song, the one that goes, Alice, Alice, who the fuck is Alice? Now, I didn't take time to look up who sang it, I didn't really want to fall down that beaver hole. But that song has absolutely nothing to do with today's Alice. But we will be answering the question that I'm sure a surprisingly few amount of people know the answer to. Who the fuck is Alice Roosevelt? I'm always surprised by how many people don't know her. They know Teddy, they know Tafty, they know everyone around that era, but they don't know Alice. Eh, maybe they know that one quote, but still. Hell, I didn't even know she existed until I started teaching. But by the end of this little episode, you won't be asking who Alice is, but instead, why the fuck wasn't I ever taught about Alice Roosevelt? So let's get to it. That promised moment in the margins, more like a bonus episode and really kind of a full chaser episode on Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Honestly, a mind that would never let herself be marginalized. It won't be crazy long, it won't be terribly short. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me, it's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So I feel like I've kind of hyped this one up a bit. It is more than just a moment in the margins on Alice Roosevelt. She is truly fascinating, and the notes did end up being about four pages long. So yeah, like I said, it's more on the verge of a chaser. And 
As it was already scripted, it's saving my ass this week because I just didn't have the mental capacity to put out the Philip II episode. So Alice, born two days before her mother's death, and when Teddy was just a New York State assemblyman. She, like her father, had ancestral ties to our old friends the Schuyler family from the Hamilton saga. But that isn't really relevant other than the fact that she came from some money. In her earliest years, Teddy was distraught and distracted, thus parenting fell to someone else, in this case, T.R.'s sister, Anna. An infant Alice was even left in Anna's care when Teddy moved to North Dakota to become a less-than-successful cattle rancher. Now, Anna, more commonly called Aunt Bi, was a truly central figure in Alice's life. Alice biographer Stacy Cordery notes her aunt was outgoing and warm, witty and charming, passionately interested in civic affairs, and able to both soothe and scorn. Which sounds like a perfect description of the woman she raised, Alice Roosevelt. Cordery continues, from by Alice learned how to preside over tea and how to butter bread. From by it seems to me Alice learned everything from the art of conversation to elegance and how to carry herself properly. It is clear that she held a special place in Alice's life, one that was not so equally shared with her stepmother, Edith. From by, Alice even learned about her mother, Alice Lee, something that Teddy would seldom, if ever, discuss. In her later life, Alice recalled in her autobiography, My father never told me anything about this. In fact, he never ever mentioned my mother to me, which was absolutely wrong. And it truly was. Although cared for, Alice seems devoid of both a mother and father figure in those earliest and most crucial years of childhood development. What is most disappointing is that Roosevelt seemed determined to purge the feelings of his first marriage out of his heart and mind completely. Was this out of grief or sadness? Was it a way to cope and move on? I can't really say, but I can certainly tell that it impacted Alice. In one letter, Teddy even wrote to Bai saying, quote, As I have already told you, if you wish to, you shall keep Baby Lee, that is, Alice. I, of course, paying the expense. Now that's just fucking sad, and in my opinion, a truly weak moment in Teddy's story. But this isn't Teddy's story, it's Alice's. Luckily for history, Edith Roosevelt's sense of duty reunited this Roosevelt family. But this reunion would not be incredibly smooth. Tension would dominate the relationship all the way to the White House. In one fiery exchange, Edith and Teddy planned to send a young Alice to a school for girls in New York City. To which Alice responded, quote, If you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you both. One of many instances where Alice literally took shit from absolutely no one. But such dramatic tensions eased, and it seems Alice came to respect Edith, even seeing her as a maternal figure, if not, quote, mother, as Edith wished to be called. Now, I have not read all of Alice's autobiography, titled Crowded Hours, but she noted in it, quote, that she was a child of another marriage was a simple fact and made a situation that had to be coped with. And Mother coped with it with a fairness and charm and intelligence, which she had to a greater degree than almost anyone else I know. Edith would later handle Alice's introduction into society in 1902, but that takes us to another phase in Alice's story entirely. A psychologist's dream study. Alice became the first daughter in some of her most dramatic developmental years as she was just 17 when Teddy became President of the United States of America. Now, I chose to cover Edith in the main episode as I believed her to be a true balancing force in Teddy's story, likely extremely influential in his life and presidency, and always at his side, but rarely, if ever, noticed. Alice, on the other hand, was less of a direct influence on Teddy's presidency and political career, but extremely noticeable, and I would say she certainly liked it that way. 
One journalist notes, quote, Alice enjoyed a reputation as a rule breaker at a time when women were under great pressure to conform. The media noticed many of her exploits. She smoked cigarettes in public, rode in cars with men, stayed out late partying, kept a pet snake in the White House named Emily Spinach because it was, quote, green as spinach and thin as Aunt Emily. Cordery notes, in her purse, she could be counted on to carry four essentials, cigarettes, a fertility image, a copy of the Constitution, and Emily Spinach. So yeah, she carried a snake to parties, always put on a good show, but Cordery feels that it was a little more complicated and complex than that. Two years into Teddy's unexpected presidency, Alice wrote, quote, I am afraid the only attention I get is just out of curiosity to see what I am like on account of my position. Cordery finds her bold, dramatic, and showy actions to be, quote, an attempt to define herself apart from the role of first daughter. It was all about the difference between the president's daughter and Alice Roosevelt. Now, I must admit, when one sees the stunning portrait of Alice done in 1901 or the equally stunning studio photographs in 1902, it is not surprising that she was seen by the nation as an icon and celebrity. A true beauty matched with a truly beautiful wit. She is captured with such a great degree of confidence in every image as if her resolve could not be shaken for a singular second. And although this is not often the case, I believe this to be very true of Alice. She adored being the center of attention, a trait that I must say she came by honestly when one really starts to look at her father, of whom she once said, quote, wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. That is absolutely fucking hilarious, and it really does sound like the Teddy that I've come to know. As some of you may recall, Teddy had the following to say about Alice, whose frequent interruptions in the Oval Office were noted by one visitor, to which Teddy responded, quote, I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. And I am sure it was exhausting to attend to Alice, who was even sent on a diplomatic mission when she was just 22. You can imagine how that went. Traveling with cabinet member and future president William Howard Taft, I guess I should say and future Supreme Court Justice, but we'll save that for another day, along with an entourage of 23 congressmen, one of which would become her future husband, Alice was the crown jewel of this Pacific tour. After reading about it, it did sort of seem like one big party boat for Alice, but that is likely why she went. Her youth, charisma, and attitude captured the hearts, eyes, and minds of those around her. Now, you might be thinking, what the hell was Teddy thinking here? This is going to be a disaster, but it really wasn't, and he didn't really think that. One newspaper noted, There have been few young women in America, or for that matter any other country, who have received so much newspaper attention as has Miss Alice Roosevelt. It is that attention that led Cordery to claim T.R. might have worried privately about the effects of Alice's prominence on her own life, but did not have to fear the results of her fame on his administration when she functioned as his goodwill ambassador. Not that he really needed it, but her fame was his fame. Really, it was a sort of mutually symbiotic relationship, and it allowed her to get away with a great deal of mischief. Of course, it was on this tour that we get the well-known story of her jumping into the ship's swimming pool fully clothed even convincing a U.S. congressman to get in with her. Although this man was actually William Burke Cochran, the papers spun it differently saying it was Nicholas Longworth, embracing and playing on the apparent and unfolding romance between the two. After returning home, this little love liaison continued and the pair were engaged in 1905. 
and the two were married in 1906. The wedding was quite a show, attended by more than 1,000 guests. And for her wedding, Alice was gifted a set of pearls from the Cuban government, in part as thanks for her father's efforts in helping Cuba gain its independence from Spain. And she wore those pearls for the rest of her life. But this quote moment or short episode is getting away from me. So let's speed things up. Alice stuck by her father's side when he returned in 1912, despite the fact that her husband openly supported his former mentor, William Howard Taft. Cordery notes, the 1912 election was a defining event in Alice's life, a bit of a breaking point too, as Alice's husband Nick supported his longtime mentor, William Howard Taft. She continues, Nick had every reason to be pragmatic about his career. Third parties rarely won. But this pragmatism would cost him, as he, quote, underestimated his wife's devotion to her father and the progressive cause. She even went as far as to speak on stage with Hiram Johnson, TR's running mate in 1912. But even worse, this happened in her husband's own congressional district. Nicholas Longworth actually lost re-election that year by 105 votes, to which Alice supposedly said she was, quote, worth at least 100 of those votes. And if that's true, it's a little cold even for Alice. After leaving the White House, a place I think she loved to be, she was spiteful. She supposedly buried a voodoo doll of the new First Lady and was actually banned later from the Wilson White House, too. After her father's death, she would pick up just about every torch of his that she could, always advocating for conservationist reforms and even emerging as one of the leading isolationist voices in Washington, D.C., speaking out actively against American involvement in the League of Nations and even eventually sitting on the board of America First, which worked to keep America out of the Second World War. That is, of course, until Pearl Harbor. Like most, she struggled financially during the Great Depression but pulled through by appearing in tobacco ads to earn some money. I will say there are few as pro-Roosevelt as Alice, but it could be said that there are few as anti-Roosevelt as her either. That is, she actively campaigned against her cousin Franklin Delano Roosevelt, once saying, quote, politically his branch of the family and ours have always been in different camps, and the same surname is about all we have in common. I am a Republican, and I am going to vote for Hoover. If I were not a Republican, I would still vote for Mr. Hoover. She even went as far as to say, quote, she would rather vote for Hitler. A shitty thing to say for certain, but I will note that when she said it, it was in the earliest years of Hitler's rise to prominence. Moving from decade to decade here, she seemed to have a real disliking for Senator Joseph McCarthy, which I absolutely fucking get. But she even said at a party once, when Joseph McCarthy tried to sit next to her, No, Senator McCarthy, you are not going to call me Alice. The truckman, the trash man, and the policeman on my block can call me Alice, but you may not. Continuing on, she loved the Kennedys, especially Bobby, but did not publicly endorse JFK. She admitted voting for LBJ in 1964, which was honestly smart because Barry Goldwater was a fucking nut. And she loved Tricky Dick. That is until Watergate. She was even invited to Trish Nixon's wedding at the White House in 1971. And Nixon himself was a pallbearer at Alice's daughter's funeral, so yeah, we should probably talk a little bit about Paulina. In a surprise to everyone, Alice shocked the nation when she had her first and only child at age 41, to which she said, I am always willing to try anything once. But her daughter was the product of an affair that she had had with Senator William Bora, which she confirmed in her diaries. Witty in all moments of life, she even expressed a desire to name her daughter Deborah, that is, as a sort of French de, which means of. That is to say, she was essentially calling her daughter of Bora. Mary Bora, the wife of Senator Bill Bora, was actually one of the first people to meet Paulina. 
Maybe this was done just to deflect suspicion and judgment, as Cordery notes, Not even Alice Roosevelt Longworth could be so brazen as to invite her lover's wife to see their child. I would disagree, and Cottery kind of disagreed with herself, too. Apparently, I keep switching back in my script between Cottery and Cordery. It is Cordery. But as Cordery notes, quote, On the other hand, it would have been exactly the sort of action Alice would take. According to Cordery, there was a crude but famous joke circulating around the origin of Paulina's birth that went, quote, What do a new parquet floor and the Longworth baby have in common? There's not a bit of a nick in either one. And around this time, Alice was even referred to as Aurora Bora Alice. Paulina seems to have been mostly ignored or pushed to the shadows a bit, but she later married businessman Alexander Sturm and the pair had a daughter, Joanna, in 1946. Alexander Sturm died in 1951, and Paulina, who struggled with depression most of her life, died from an overdose of sleeping pills in 1957. Unlike she did for her daughter, Alice would fight for and win custody of her granddaughter, whom she raised, spoiled, and seemed to adore. Joanna is still very much alive today. Well, that's it. In 1956, Alice was diagnosed with breast cancer. She told very few people about it when she went to get her double mastectomy, and she even joked after the procedure, saying, quote, I am the only topless octogenarian in Georgetown University Hospital. Dying at age 96 on February 20th, 1980, wearing the very Cuban pearl she wore most of her life, yet another bright light went out of the world. President Jimmy Carter made the following public statement about her death. She had style, she had grace, and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers to Washington wondering which was worse, to be skewered by her wit or to be ignored by her. A character for certain, bold, brazen, beautiful, no, I am not describing myself, Alice Roosevelt Longworth was all of that and more. She did not let any era define her role, behavior, or place in society. I have no doubt that if we were taking a second to examine her on a twist of psych, Sherry would have plenty to say about the impact that this sort of celebrity status can have on a teen. But neither one of us has time for that. And as to the drink, well, you know what, fuck it. If Alice made limoncello that was this good, she would rate it too. So we will keep it simple. I like my limoncello sweet, but it has to have a natural taste. Keep the ingredients simple and fresh like I did. Get the freshest produce you can. If you're looking at a liquor store shelf longing to try your first glass of limoncello, well, don't be fooled by bright yellows and syrupy-looking substances. Those are the worst ones. Go get some fresh produce, good alcohol, I normally use vodka, and make some simple syrup. It's actually quite simple. And a fun fact, you only use the lemon peels to make this, so you're not wasting any piece of the lemons. On that note, price varies and return is a must. I love limoncello, and I gotta say my tree produced some great fruit, and I did a pretty good job for my first go. So there you go, that's all I got on Alice Roosevelt Longworth, a true titan of many ages. Princess Alice dined with royals, scolded presidents, traveled the world, and in her own way, but much like her father, served her nation her entire adult life. During a visit to the White House in her later years, a young White House aide did not recognize the now very aged visitor. When he asked her to put out her cigarette in the White House, Mrs. Longworth shot back, Young man, I was smoking in the White House before you were born. People of Washington, D.C. often called Alice, a woman of many nicknames, if you haven't noticed, quote, the other Washington monument. Never holding a singular political office, she still towered over the men of the Capitol. In a Washington Post interview in her later years, she said, quote, I don't think I am insensitive or cruel. I laugh. I have a sense of humor. I like to tease. I must admit a sense of mischief does get hold of me from time to time. And isn't it strange how that upsets people? 
Well, as we finally found the answer to the question, who the fuck is Alice, I must say that you certainly did not upset me. Cheers.